Hello and welcome to this all new episode of Poetry Spoken Here. I am producer and technical director Jack Rossiter Munley. And very quickly before we get into the episode, I just wanted to mention as always that Poetry Spoken Here is produced by Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated, a small digital production company making podcasts about poetry, literature, and cultural history. You can find out more about Poetry Spoken Here and all of the other Cardboard Box Productions podcasts at cardboardboxproductionsinc.com. And, most excitingly, Cardboard Box Productions also has a newsletter called Unboxed that you can subscribe to, and that's a great place to get more information about the poets and writers featured on Poetry Spoken Here, and the people, poems, and subjects featured on all of the other Cardboard Box shows. So again, that's the newsletter Unboxed that you can subscribe to from CardboardBoxProductionsInc.com. On with the show! I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Ashley M. Jones. She is the newly appointed Poet Laureate for the state of Alabama, and she will hold that position until 2026. So that gives her some time to get some things done. Very nice. She's received literature fellowship from the Alabama State Council on the Arts and was recently a guest editor for Poetry Magazine. Her most recent book is Reparations Now. She is also among the many poets in a book we recently talked about, The Future of Black, the book of Afrofuturism. And she founded the Magic City Poetry Festival. And in case you're wondering, the Magic City, she has told me, is Birmingham, Alabama. So, Ashley, welcome to Poetry Spoken here. Thank you, Charlie. Thanks for having me. (laughs) I'm glad we could do this because you're doing a lot of interesting things and uh, people should hear about that. Well, when we were talking before coming on, you said that being a guest editor for Poetry Magazine was an interesting experience. There must be some things about it that I can't imagine. Well, I mean, there there was a lot that I couldn't imagine as well, (laughs) I have to say. Um, It definitely was not a thing that I thought I would ever do. Um, you know, one doesn't necessarily grow up thinking I'm going to edit poetry one day, you know, especially as a poet, you just assume that's off the table. At least I did. Um, and you know, I, I definitely am one of the poets like many of us, um, you know, who feel on the margins. I felt that the magazine maybe wasn't a home for my work. You know, um, I just didn't really factor it in when I was sending out work. I said, well, that's poetry. I'll just send to other places, you know, smaller places, um, places that I know are thinking about work like mine. And so it wasn't until a couple of years ago um, that I even started to entertain the idea because I had been submitting to their um, Dorothy Sargent Rosenberg Fellowship Program for like maybe three or four years because there's an age limit on that. You have to be younger than 31 um, to do it. And I'm 31 now. So I had been submitting, you know, for for a few years. And when I became a finalist in 2020, I was very surprised. First of all, I did not think it was going to happen. Um, but that's when I had an opportunity to be published in Poetry Magazine. And so here I was seeing my work in a magazine that, again, as I said, I had never imagined being in. And it occurred to me, like, maybe there's a way to make this sort of thing happen more. 
And lo and behold, a couple months later, they posted a job listing for um, long-term temporary guest editors, which is a weird way to say that, but you know, the positions are temporary and there are three of, there were three of us. The last one, Susie Garcia is um, serving right now. Um, and so I kind of just threw my name in the hat. I think I waited to the last day <laughs> that the applications were open because <laughs> I kept going back and forth. I was like, well, they're not going to pick me, you know, yeah. it's just a pipe dream, you know, to do that. And of course I was also a little nervous, you know, to enter the, that huge organization, which is so storied and controversial in many yeah. ways. Um, you know, and I kept thinking to myself, well, I see a lot of issues with this organization. I see, um, you know, places where there could be more doors open to use their, their motto. And so maybe instead of just observing those issues, I could try, like I've done with a lot of things in Alabama, I could try and put my hand in there and see what I can do. So I put in my application. I went through a very long interview process. Um, and lo and behold, I got the job as the first one of those three editors. So, I mean, that's great. Yeah. I, yeah. I was very excited and surprised Ooh. and, you know, it was a lot of work. It was a lot, a lot of work. Um, cause I already have, I have a full-time job. I'll have two full-time jobs and I do all this writing stuff. And then I added the poetry thing. It was a lot, but it was really yeah. incredible to see behind the curtain, you know, yeah. Like we never, at least for me, like I never really considered, and this is going to sound really strange, so forgive me, but I never considered that the people behind the magazine were actually people, you know, you don't think about the humans, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, behind it, especially when there's controversy, you totally forget that these are people who are also doing their best, you know, to, yeah. to do the right thing. Um, so that was really incredible for me to see and to be able to be a part of putting together the journal and to bring my Super. perspective, to bring Alabama into the picture. Like it was amazing. Um, but yeah, that's, that's great. Wow. You may be the first poetry editor we've had on poetry spoken to you. Oh, matter well. of fact. <laughs> <laughs> great. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, you better read a poem. Because you've got so okay. many interesting things to talk about, and I want to be sure people get a good, a little sampling uh, of your work. So I'll read a poem that I've now called "My Greatest Hit," one of my greatest hits. Um, and it, it's weird for me to say that about my own work. Like I'm definitely not. I am a Leo, but I'm not that kind of Leo. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but I termed this "My Greatest Hit" because I've been reading it so much this year. I feel like I can't make two turns without reading this poem. And this poem is actually the one that I read on Good Morning America last month. So it's, it holds okay. a special place in my heart. Um, so this is called All Y'all Really from Alabama. Mm -hmm. And um, it's about racism in America. It begins with an epigraph from Dr. King. The straitjackets of race prejudice and discrimination do not wear only Southern labels. The subtle psychological technique of the North has approached in its ugliness and victimization of the Negro, the outright terror and open brutality of the South. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., why we can't wait. This here, the cradle of this here nation. Everywhere you look, roots run right back South. Every vein filled with red dirt, blood, cotton, we the dirty words you spit out your mouth, 
Mason Dixon is an imagined line. You can theorize it or wish it real, but it's the same old ghost, see-through, benign. All y'all from Alabama, we the wheel turning cotton to make the nation move. We the scapegoat in a land built from death. No longitude or latitude disproves the truth of founding father's sacred oath. We hold these truths like dark snuff in our jaw. Black oppression's not happenstance, it's law. Mm, yeah, I can see why you read that a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's one of my favorites. Um, and it's actually a sonnet, which is a fun little secret, <laughs> you know, that yeah. people don't always pick mm-hmm. up. <laughs> Yeah, it's the kind you have to go back and look at it on the page to know mm-hmm. to know that or you wouldn't. Yeah. Right. Somehow you reminded me of as I go through uh a lot of your I read quite a few of your poems. And uh the poem that quotes George Wallace. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's an interesting thing to do. And it was just, you know, it's horrendous to remember the things he said. There it was, there it is in your in your poem. And right. how, how, how'd you come to that one? But the poem I think that you're referencing is Reparations Now, Tomorrow, Forever. Yes. Yeah, that one was a doozy, I tell you. Um, So many of my poems come upon me in a very forceful way. Um, But that one was one of them. I was actually um, teaching John Lewis's March, um, Mm -hmm. his graphic memoir. And so I was putting together my lesson for the students. And I teach high school in my, my first day job grad school in my second day job one wonders how many days I have honestly but but it all works out somehow um but um I was putting together the lesson and trying to get some historical context for the students so they could understand what was happening because of course they're all so young they have no you know concept I mean I obviously wasn't alive during the 60s either but even as a kid growing up in the 90s and 2000s there are things that we learned that this this generation doesn't necessarily right Get. So I was um, getting a link together for George Wallace's speech and something in the air said, you've never read the whole speech, which I had not. I had only really seen that clip because I mean, it's not like people are just like, man, I just want to go and dive right into that. (laughs) Right. right. (laughs) It's depressing. (laughs) Yeah. To say the least it it is. So I, um, I listened to that voice and something about me is when I'm writing, I always say that it's uh, the spirit like giving me something to write about so I assume it was the spirit telling me go read that speech so I went and printed out the speech and started to read it and I found myself like underlining highlighting all these phrases that sounded so familiar to me not because they were from George Wallace but because other politicians mm. um, and you know at the time you know there was a certain person in power but other politicians mm-hmm. said things um, that were similar in my state and out of the state across the country, these sentiments still prevailed. And so it made me start to really see, I mean, this is something I already knew, you know, that these progress narratives that we cling to in our country aren't always the whole story. You know, we can easily see the civil rights act being passed and think, okay, there it was, it's over, but clearly not, (laughs) you know, there's still so many issues. Um, And so seeing those words and hearing how, relevant they still were really brought that into um more tangible perspective for me 
And so from there, I decided to write this five part poem, which used some of those words um, to sort of show the reader, here is what this speech said to me. Here is what it is saying to us still today. Mm-hmm. And then of course I added some of my own words there. So it sure. kind of all happened in a flurry. Um, and that's how that poem got born. Yeah, it's really something to see what, you know, to be reminded of what he said. Speaking of characters, another character that just leaped out at me. And as I said, I, I hope we talk about things you haven't talked about in your many interviews. Uh, the poem about James Brown. Yeah. What, about, what about James Brown? Oh, James Brown. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> he, well, okay. So I'll start by saying that it's also kind of a surprise to me that I've like inhabited James Brown in any way um, because we couldn't be more different. My goodness. <laughs> <You know? laughs> James Brown was James Brown and nobody else will ever be yeah. him. Um, but I've always loved um, soul music, funk music, mm-hmm. all of these, you know, great genres um, that I was not really alive to experience when they, you know, came out. Um, But my parents raised us on really, really good music. So I grew up hearing all this great stuff. And James Brown is just somebody you can't really escape, you know, no matter who you are, you know, you got to listen to him. And so I got kind of obsessed with James Brown a couple of years ago, um, having watched Get On Up, the um, biopic Uh that came out in like, I don't know, 2016 or something like that. Um, because I am a lover of the actor Chadwick Boseman, may he rest in peace. Um, and so I've watched anything that he was in. And so of course I watched this movie and was just like, oh my gosh, James Brown, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I found that James Brown's music, not only does it do a lot of empowerment work, like the song mm-hmm. I'm Black and I'm Proud, love that song. It really says so much to me. Even there's like a, a Christmas song that he um does that I remember listening to as a kid um it's called like Santa Claus goes straight to the ghetto which is so James Brown like you know it's incredible but he was so focused on empowering black people and I really love that about him but also there's a poem in this book um about the song soul power which again is about black empowerment Mm -hmm. but there's also this very strange quality and it actually is one of the poems in the um the black futures anthology Mm -hmm. In that song, Soul Power, which is about like 10 minutes long, there's this one like horn riff. That just goes and goes and goes and goes. And it's like an inescapable loop of horns, you know? Yeah. And that sound somehow gave me the idea for this poem about the inescapability of a certain feeling that I've had, especially with black male artists and trying to date them, um, which I don't recommend. <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's something interesting, I tell you, with artists. Um, but it also makes you think about all these artists like James Brown, who don't have the best track record with romance either. You know, he had mm. quite a few wives yeah. and quite a few escapades with those wives and, you know, possible Mm -hmm. domestic abuse as well so you know you start to think about the art versus the artists all of these yeah of course yeah no it stuck out to me because i i had seen james brown live back in my college days before you when your parents were listening (laughs) (laughs) and uh, because i I was in maryland and he was around that area i never occurred to me at the time he was 
probably regional, like big time regional. Mm. He, was, he was always playing in Delaware and Maryland and DC and right around that little little area there. Oh. And uh, it was truly wonderful to see him live. Yeah, I can't even imagine. My goodness. Uh, doing the thing with the cape and all that stuff. You know? Oh, you saw the cape too? Exactly. Yeah. He did it all the time. Yeah, I saw him multiple wow. times. And, you know, he looked like he was going to pass out. And they, two guys carry him over to the side of the stage. And he throws his arms back. <laughs> the cape goes flying and he runs back to the mic. It's oh beautiful. Just beautiful. Truly beautiful. Wow. Anyway, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so when I saw that, I just, oh, yeah, James Brown. Just <laughs> made me get that vision of his yeah. sweaty self. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, well well, let's hear another poem, whichever one you'd like to read. Sure. Uh, we would like to hear. I guess I'll read about James since oh, we're talking about cool. him, since he wants to be in the room right about now. I can't believe you saw him live. Truly, that is amazing. <laughs> it was like he was in the neighborhood. You know what I mean? It, yeah. it was that frequent. And the other thing is there were a bunch of bands that all they did was cover James Brown. So they went and got a whole really? section. Yeah, there was there was more than one anyway. And their oh. whole thing was how much could they, you know, sound like James Brown? Wow. The way that is Beatles. fascinating. Yeah, it was real interesting. Wow. Did you know yeah. that James Brown and I are the same height? I found that out when I visited Augusta, Georgia. <laughs> no. <laughs> they have a life-size statue of James Brown in like the downtown area. And so I got up and stood next to it because what else do you yeah. do at the James Brown statue? And yeah, he's 5'4", so whoa interesting <laughs> yeah yeah so i'll read um this poem called soul power james brown time loop everything is color and sweat like the pinwheel that marks a time jump on justice league or wonder twins or batman and robin it's all spinning to the tune of those horns in soul power by james brown who was, I think, some kind of Superman because he wore a cape, because he could see through you to the white meat, because his heart was wrapped in a blanket of green glowing money. Faster than a speeding bullet, funkier than George Clinton stewing in a vat of radioactive gym socks. He was the originator of a time loop, of a horn section that would not could not quit of a bridge that led nowhere but from one side of his growling throat to the dark loud other and it's there in this time loop in this trumpeted commercial break that i see just how caught up i really am the man i did not love is sitting at my dining room table gobbling up a cake i baked for his unremarkable birthday and in the spit shine of his teeth emerges the metal shining smile of the other man I did not love, who did not love me, gobbling up the edits I made painstakingly on his poems. And in the ink, black and boogieing on the page, rose the whiskers of the other man I did not love, framing his slow and drawling mouth, his words slipping thick out of his lips, and then they were all the same man in an endless spinning trumpet filled infinity in which yes, I could get on down, 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 but not out. Every wall, a new man dancing a two-step to
to a tune that will end in my demise. And James is telling me how I got to got to feel it. And maybe he's right. This is the funkiest hurt, but it got to hurt. It got to. James said so. Because when it's finally over, when the trumpets quiet down, my body still knows how to dance all over the beat, still pounding in my heart. How to recognize these unrelenting sounds, these men making dissonant music. How to turn that hard hurt beat into my own sure feet, stomping it into beauty. Yeah. <laughs> and you said then that one's in the uh, Future of Black as well as your own book? It is, yes. And mm-hmm. as well as being in the uh, rep- Reparations Now. Correct. Okay, folks, two places you can read that poem again and again. <laughs> and the thing I always like to mention, this is a recording. You can go back and listen again. Mm-hmm. It's a real advantage. One advantage we have over being there live, though it's wonderful to be there live. <laughs> now, while we're talking, uh, another thing I'd like to jump to, you've done so many things that may not sound like we're being continuous, but well, your poetry is what holds us together. That's and right. I wanted to ask you, as I, you mentioned, contrapuntal poems. Yes. And I never, though I've written a couple over the years, never heard mm-hmm. anybody talk about them. And what do you, what do you, what do you have to say about contrapuntal poems or maybe what do you tell students? I don't know. Yeah. The contrapuntal poem is a doozy. um, As you know, someone who has written some of them Um, for those who don't know what those are, a contrapuntal poem is a poem that can be read contrapuntally, which means you can read it down in the traditional sense. You can read it across and usually it's split into columns. So you can have two columns where you can read it, you know, down and down the two columns or across the two columns. Sometimes there are three columns, sometimes even four, if you really want to get interesting with it, you know. <laughs> and some people do really ridiculously amazing things, um, like the poet Tahemba Jess, where you, re- where you write a poem that can be read contrapuntally in any direction, in any order, from the bottom to the top, to the side, to the <laughs> It's ridiculous, truly. <laughs> um, and if you want to read those, those poems by Tahim Bajess, they're in his um, Pulitzer Prize winning collection, Olio, O-L-I-O. Really an amazing book. Um, and I don't know what kind of brain this man has. Like, truly, it doesn't make any sense. It's too amazing. Um, so, and, and some of his are like perfect sonnets also, like in, in meter and with rhyme and their contrapuntals. Like, again, I don't know. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I am not Tahim Bajess. I simply do regular old, you know, two column contrapuntal poems. Um, and I've really only written maybe like one and a half successfully. Um, there's one traditional one in Reparations Now, and then there's another poem that's in sort of a starburst shape that can be read in um, several directions. So that's the half because you know, yeah. I don't know if it's as perfect as a Tahimba Jess piece, but it's there. Um, but what I tell students when I've assigned this to them, um, when I teach poetics and modern forms to um, my ninth grade students, you know, they've already gone through by that point in the semester, when we get to contrapuntals, we've done meter, they've learned how to scan, they've written in meter, not perfect necessarily, but the best that they can do sometimes perfect. I mean, you'd be surprised, sure. um, honestly. Um, so by that point, they're like itching for something else. And then I throw a contrapuntal at them and they're like, wow, Miss Jones, you really hate us because this is so hard <laughs> you know, to do. <laughs> but I tell them that the form, like all forms, it can be so useful 
for a particular kind of content. So some of the poems that we look at by Taihim Bajess are conversations. And so there'll be one, um, there's one that I really love um, and it has, it's about um, Blind Tom Wiggins who was an enslaved performer. And um, the poem has his master, his master's wife on one side and his mother on the other. And they're arguing over who should have um, not ownership, well, I guess ownership in the case of the slave owner, um, but custody in the case of the mom, they're arguing over that in the poem. And so what Jess is able to do is have two very distinct voices on each side of the page. And then when you read across the poem, you see whose voice he thinks is the most just. And it turns out to be the mother of um, Blind Tom Wiggins, but you can't necessarily do that in a regular poem. The contrapuntal gives you another layer of content that you can use, you can create more meaning. You can show the meaning rather than tell the reader through wow. what you choose to put on each side of the contrapuntal. So well, that's, that's what real. I tell them. Thanks <laughs> for that intro to contrapuntal. Uh, I myself am going to listen to this a few more times <laughs> and just see what it stimulates in my in my brain. Maybe it'll help a poem come out. That's That's good, yeah. Okay, well, uh, we better hear another poem. Okay. <laughs> um, well, I was waffling between the traditional contrapuntal, which is about Gladys Knight, or it has Gladys Knight, and the almost contrapuntal. So I think I'll go with the almost. I don't know, seems appropriate. Um, this one, and I'll show it to you, Charlie. The other people listening can go online and look at it, but it's got this okay. interesting shape. And this is one of the ones that actually was in Poetry Magazine. So that's, it's, we're tying it together, continuity in this go. conversation. <laughs> yeah, now, now this poem, folks, the visual is there's, there's a circle that's blank and coming out of that circle like a starburst or like sun rays in a little kid's drawing are the lines of the poem all the way around the circle. So we have these lines all coming out from the middle. Mm -hmm. I'm gesturing and you can't see that either, folks. <laughs> uh, coming out from the middle, of this open space. And those are all the different lines. And now we're gonna see how Ashley decides to read it. Like which which line do you know when to read or does it matter? Yeah, I mean- Go all over the place with this? You, you can mostly, like I think it's 80% readable in any direction, but there are wow. some lines I think if you start, it doesn't really make sense to me. Okay. Now others have said, oh, I mean, it's a poem. So I just assumed, you know, it wasn't gonna okay. always make sense. So fine you know cool. very cool <laughs> um, but i have in the piece if you see it there are four emboldened lines and they form like a sort of a cross in the middle and Got those it. are the ones that i think you definitely could start from and it would make sense um but you could pretty much start anywhere give or take oh um, uh, what's your web address because it's on your website i believe yes it is Tell my people want to look at it mm -hmm. My website is www.ashleymjonespoetry.com. And Ashley is spelled A-S-H-L-E-Y, the traditional way. <laughs> so this poem that I'm going to read, what a long preamble to this poem. Um, this poem that I'm going to read um, is one that I wrote one summer um, because I found myself always behind a tow truck, not because I was being towed at all <laughs> but it just seemed to appear in front of me like every time I got on the road it was like there's a tow truck and it started to freak me out a little bit I was like what is the sign here like is God trying to tell me I'm gonna get an accident like what is happening and so I just started asking like 
you know, God, what's up? What, what's happening here? What's up with these tow trucks? And I started to notice too that tow trucks have this crossbar on the back. I've never really noticed it because I've had the good fortune to not really need yeah. to deal with tow trucks in my life. Um, but the crosses on the back are like kind of tilted in like a Jesus-y kind of way. Do you know what I mean? Like that, like, it's hard to explain, but that's the only way like my mind makes sense of it. It's tilted in like the way that you imagine Jesus must have tilted on the, yeah, on the cross. So, um, so anyway, all of that tow truck sighting made me think about, and it was summer. I should say that too. It was summertime. So I was free from school, you know, so I'm happier, I guess, than usual. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I started to think about just the very easy way I've been able to relate to God. Like, even though I'm a Southerner and you know how it is in the South, you know, religion is a very strict and oppressive sort of thing. But in my family, I've been so fortunate. My parents were always very open-minded and, you know, let us know that we could find our own way to religion, figure out what works for us, which is super unusual for a Southern Black family. But, you know, my parents, like I said, are the best. Um, And so I've never really felt that just strict and horrible binding feeling it's always been very easy like oh god's everywhere like in this grass you know in a pie that i made in a poem whatever you know um and so this poem sort of explores that and it borrows the shape from a poet named mary shebist um her last name is spelled s-z-b-i-s-t um and she has a book called incarnadine in which this form appears and her poem is about names for god and that's why it's in this endless shape because there's it's impossible to name god but we try over and over so anyway this poem is called hymn of our jesus and the holy tow truck (laughs) is it that easy god to be pulled or as if a car half crushed maybe to follow on the back of a tow truck. And incidentally, Lord, is that you I see flexed on the crossbar of a rusty wrecker on its way to the east side of Birmingham, which is like Eden growing holy fruit. My mother, the summer plot of peach, my father, the strong tomato, its unbending vine. Did you teach them to grow in this way in the sweat of Alabama, strong as the dying crow, its blood-hardened wing straight as a crucifix, pointing always, easily, stubbornly, straight up, pious as a bone toward you. Wow. That's just, this is really interesting. So we haven't got a lot of time, but I have to ask you, uh, mm-hmm. As the new poet laureate coming into mm-hmm. office, um, do you have any particular plans yet for things you're wanting to do? Yeah, I do have some plans. Uh-huh. Um, well, I mean, for one, I'm planning to try to learn how to sleep a little bit more because I don't do enough of that, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my main plan for the four years is to really invigorate poets across the state of Alabama by creating opportunities for funding. So I'm going to seek funding from the Academy of American Poets. They have poet laureate fellowships. Hmm. Um, So I'm going to try to get some of that so that I can then get that money into each region in my state. Um, And I'm going to try to identify just different people 
I think I'm going to call them delegates um, across the state who can help to distribute those funds where they need to go. There's no way for me to know, you know, who needs what in every single city, every single county. I just can't do that work as much as I want to be everywhere all the time. And I certainly try, believe me, Charlie, I try, (laughs) but I can't do it. Um, So I would rather just, if I'm the one who's able to get the money, I will very happily pass it on to others. So they can do programs. That's a good basic plan. Yeah. Yeah. As a way to try to reach the whole state. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And of course I'll still do readings and, you know, travel till the cows come home. <laughs> yeah, and and the Magic City Poetry Festival is that an ongoing thing? That'll yes. that'll keep happening, of course, right? It will. It'll keep happening and, every April, and even throughout the year, we have events. Now that Zoom is a thing, we're able to do a lot more um, throughout the year. That's great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Ashley, it has been great talking to you. I have personally really enjoyed it, and that's important. That's right. <laughs> Well, it makes me feel, I project regularly. If I like it, folks are going to love it. So folks, we've had a good time here. And we've been visiting with our guest poet, Ashley M. Jones, as you just heard, the new poet laureate for the state of Alabama. So thanks a lot, Ashley. It's been great. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Monley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.